When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Burning Daylight, the only podcast for the working cowboy. Well, good morning. Howdy there, daylight, daylight burners. Um, hope you all had a good weekend. Um, it is Monday, November 20th, and this is the friggin' Farm and Ranch Report. <clears throat> Started off. We'll get right into it. I had a good weekend, but it's a news show, so we're going to get right into it. Cattle on feed numbers and a market report. Um, let's see. We'll go with... Here we go. This is a market report. We'll come back to the cattle on feed numbers, but this is as a Friday afternoon. Live cattle what, finished out 176.80. That was up uh, one... 145.70 uh, feeder cattle at 228.50 up one hogs were down 17 and a half cents at 75.45 uh, corn down eight at four uh, 485.25 soybeans down 18.50 at 13.565 wheat was down 525 at uh, 575.75 and cotton was up 63 cents at 81.51. Dow Jones was up uh up 1.81 at uh 34.947 uh, and 28 cents. Nasdaq uh up 11.81 to 14.125. S&P was up 578. <clears throat> and uh so stock market's finished up cuz uh the Fed acted like they're going to not raise interest rates. We'll see how that that goes. Um, yeah, it, I mean, stock market looked okay, but if you <laughs> you look at the on the agricultural side, cattle finished up a little bit, hogs finished down, but all all your major commodities are finishing way down. Uh, energy, so crude oil is up two ninety at seventy five eighty a barrel. Um, heating oils up slightly essentially this essentially even for the week um natural gas down 11 cents at uh two uh, two uh, 95 uh so <clears throat> yeah we're gonna see uh i think that we're gonna see those energy prices go up 
Uh, box beef choice uh, choice was down uh, 85 at 293.87. Select was up 305 at 270.70. Uh, choice select spread there at 23.17. Um, 85 loads compared to 137 last Thursday. So, um, yeah, uh, production was down. Uh, There was um let's see if there's anything. Okay, so cash uh the cash cattle trade live sales down two to three dollars to one seventy eight. So thus far for Friday in the Southern Plains negotiated cash trade was mostly inactive on light demand. The most recent recent market in Texas panhandle was uh Thursday with live fob purchases traded at seven uh one seventy eight. Most recent market in Kansas was Thursday with live fob purchases traded at 178. In uh, Nebraska and the Western Corn Belt, negotiated cash trading was limited on light demand. Most recent recent market in Nebraska was Thursday, live fobs traded at 178. Uh, the most recent uh, market was Thursday, dressed deli uh, delivered was Wednesday at 282. The uh, uh, Corbett got a Got to proofread these a little bit so I can read them off better. I guess it wasn't Corbett, but um, anyway, it's on the National Beef Wire is where I'm getting this. Uh, most recent market report in the Western Corn Belt was Thursday with live fob purchases traded at 178. The most recent market in the corn, Western Corn Belt was Thursday with dress delivery purchases at uh, 282. So not much going there. Uh, and then here's the, the cattle on feed numbers. Um, I don't know if this this page shows anything different, but um, eleven point nine million head as of November first. Uh, that's up from from last year by about seven. Well, seventy one thousand head uh, placements were were up as well. Uh, seventy nine thousand at two point one six four million. Uh, we had, marketing was uh, one point. Uh, seven eight million, which is down from last year, about forty six thousand, and uh, other di disappearances uh, were fifty five thousand heads, so up a thousand from last year. Um, yeah, he pretty big increase, so it was uh, about a hundred ninety five thousand head increase from from last year. Um, during October, placements with cattle and calves weighing less than 600 pounds were 550,000 head. Six weights were 470,000 head. Uh, seven weights were 465,000. Eight weights coming in at 394,000. Nine weights at 205,000. And a uh, thousand pound or greater was uh, 80,000 head. Um, 1.76 million head of marketing fed, uh, marketing of fed cattle. 3% below 2022. Um, so it's just, we're seeing more of this drought stuff um, have an impact. It's, uh, you know, it's just low, low cattle inventory. Uh, the, <coughs> the Midwest and, and the West is looking in pretty decent shape as far as moisture goes. Of course, that's, is it really decent shape after such a huge drought? Um, not really, but as far as moisture levels go, I think it's it's been looking pretty decent um, coming in this you know this El, uh, El Nino cycle. But the south southeast is in 
pretty dire straits, it sounds like. And I mean, once again, and if you're uh, if you're there in the southeast region and and um, wouldn't mind discussing how you guys manage drought down there, because I'm I'm honestly just having a hard time picturing what a drought in the southeast looks like. I remember talking to um, Bennett Kirk, uh, I think is his name. He's from Georgia. Young kid. I think he's still in high school. Um, he was doing a podcast there for a while when I first, uh, right after I first started. But, you know, I, I'm from Dust Bowl country, so, like, the only thing that gets more deserty than that is, like, the Sahara. And, and then you're just, you know, you're picking out fine, fine tooth in your, your grains of sand there, because it's, I mean, you're, it's like splitting hairs, but I was using it you know, a desert analogy, because, uh, you know, trying to be funny here, that one didn't land, at least not with me, hope it did with you, probably not, anyway, I apologize, I'm not funny all the time, I try most of the time, but that one, that one didn't work, anyways, um, so anyways, I don't know what a drought in the southeast looks like, because as far as I know, there's just water everywhere down there, and it's a foreign concept to me, like rain in general is kind of a foreign concept uh when when you live out, outside of montana but it was it was too cold to produce any moisture when i was up there uh but there was plenty of snow on the ground and and when that shit finally did thaw up boy, the mud was outrageous so out, outside of that short little stint um i've resided in arid climates so just rain in general is a pretty pretty foreign concept and, and a, a good chunk of my life we've been in a, in a pretty major drought so uh i don't i don't recall a whole lot of like wet years you know there's they're, they're pretty few and far between uh where i live so when it comes to the southeast where where you have swamps and you know tall grass and lots of rain you know I don't know what a drought looks like down there. So I'm trying, like, because it doesn't turn into the Dust Bowl, doesn't turn into the Sahara. So, uh, you know, like, that's that's my vision of an extreme drought. Or, say, at the end of 2012, where it was just nothing but varying shades of yellow and brown year-round. Like, middle of summer, you know, the spring, uh, when when everything's normally green, you just have brown and yellow <coughs> and dust storms. So like that that's what I'm used to for for drought and I know they're not having that level of of uh drought down down south but for them drought means a whole different thing and and so I I'm just curious as to what that looks like and how people deal with it. So I already got Thad on board so if there's any other you guys I was trying to brainstorm the other day and think of who um might be a good good fit for this. So um, but if any of any of y'all from the southeast region hear this and wouldn't mind have, having a little discussion about it, um, let me know. So, um, but that being said, uh, where was the drought monitor? I think I think it was on this this one. Yeah. All right. We'll. Uh, We'll pop that that up on the screen instead, and um, it's a mostly dry week, except for the Northwest and Texas. Almost every mid midwestern state uh, saw drought and dryness worsen. 
Um, but there's not there's not much drought in in the Midwest at the moment. So uh, south and southeast received precipitation, but not enough yet. Except exceptional drought expanded in Mississippi, Alabama, and Tennessee as of November fourteenth. Uh, 31.46 of the U.S. and Puerto Rico and about 37.45% of the lower 48 states are in drought, according to the U.S. Drought Monitor. Um, 55.75, the continuous U.S. is in uh, drought this week, compared to 55.12% last year and 81.91% last year. So we're in a lot better shape as compared to last year overall there's some parts of the world that are definitely not as as good but overall um yeah it's uh, it's better than last year so we're you know it, it's we're always one day closer to a drought breaking like that it's that's all that's all you can all you can think about it is it's like you you're one day closer uh, and, and eventually it will rain and uh, eventually it'll be green and, you know, and then you're just one day closer to being in a drought. So it just, that's how, how things go. That's how life works. Um, but uh, speaking of how life works, um, Congress appears to maybe be working, attempting to work, but Biden signs a funding bill to avert the shutdown. It also extends the farm bill. Um Farm groups say the lawmakers will still need to work quickly as they are running out of time to write the long-awaited agricultural spending package. Um, President Joe Biden signed a short-term funding package on Thursday that includes a one-year farm bill extension. Uh, the law, which averts a partial government shutdown, gives... Is my microphone working? That should be working, I hope. Let me Let me check that real quick. I'm recording a backup, but I'm also I'm also going all right, looks like we're we're good. All right. Back to it. Uh the law which averts partial so government shutdown gives uh ag negotiators until September thirtieth, twenty twenty four to pass a farm bill. Congressional leaders and farm groups have said an extension was necessary to provide certainty for farmers and prevent a reversion back to depression era law for major agricultural support systems. Um, it would be probably mass chaos for that, if, you know, should like the farm bill actually expire and like no deal gets made and no extension and, and like the, the funding just shuts off for those programs. Like it would be chaos. However, like ripping a bandaid off and just getting it done, like the resulting chaos would produce a, a much better sector of the economy you know like that let the yeah it, i mean it, it it would it would suck and it would hurt and a lot of people would go under a lot of people um a lot of banks would probably go under too but um yeah it, it'd probably be better off in the long run but as we can see they'll when it when it comes to shit like this when they know like the alternative is going to be not great. They'll they'll figure something out, and uh, and they they do what they always do is spend more money. So that that's all it was. There was no no changes on the on the farm bill side of things. It was just uh, 
just a straight extension, no no reform, no cuts, no no increases. It was just status quo. Um, see, uh, growers are already making decisions for the twenty twenty four crop based on markets, growing conditions, and risk calculations," said Harold Harold Wall, president of the National Corn Growers Association. This extension provides us with much needed certainty about around the commodity title and other important USDA programs, but we continue to advocate for a full reauthorization of the farm bill as soon as possible. Stopgap funding also supports the U.S. Department of Agriculture through January 19th, setting up for the potential setting up the potential for a contentious fight and for funding in the new year. USDA financing has become mired by calls for deep cuts and policy riders on abortion access and other non-starters for Democrats. Hey, what on on both sides of the aisle? Like, what what does abortion access have to do with commodity prices? You know, which essentially is what the farm bill was supposed to be for. Like, it was it was it was supposed to keep the farmers from going under and you know stabilize the the commodity markets and um and now we're 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 talking about abortion access on the farm bill but you know why it's because food stamps are related or it's all thrown in with the farm bill and who's on food stamps but poor people and who gets the abortions? Mostly rich people, but they portrayed as like the plight of the the poor person to be able to get a, an abortion. I guess I don't, I don't know. It, it doesn't make any sense, even with the food stamps end of it. But for some reason, there's policy writers on abortion access in the damn farm bill, and I, I don't know. That's dumb. So Senator Debbie Stabenow, a Democratic leader and one of the top farm bill negotiators, was relieved the stopgap funding package included a farm bill extension. So, quote, quote, so there's not a lapse in funding for critical agriculture programs, she said on Twitter. But short-term fund bills are like this are no way to run the government, she added. We have crucial needs in this country and abroad, and we need a budget to that address addresses them. Um, yeah, you haven't had a budget since like 2008, I, I believe. Fact check me on that, but they haven't had like an actual budget that they've passed and was signed into law by the president since like 2008. It's always it's always been these continuing resolutions that were like, all right, we're gonna spend a bunch more money. Ready go. Um, oh, and then like, oh, we hit our, hit our spending cap and well, we can't just cut spending because then that would make people mad because, you know, they they want free stuff. So we just got to spend more money. Um, Agriculture groups say while an extension is welcome, lawmakers need to use this momentum to pass a farm bill sooner rather than later. American Farm Bureau Federation said lawmakers are running out of time to write a new bill. We need a new farm bill in early 2024, said American Farm Bureau President Zippy Duval. I don't know if I can trust a guy named Zippy. 
Anyhow, um, yeah, that that's uh, they have not. So this is from a different article, same website, but uh, shut down threats in September. Prolonged speaker, plus a prolonged speaker election pushed out consideration of the farm bill which governs hundreds of billions of, of dollars in food and agricultural spending. Leaders are hoping to approve the legislation next year, but have not provided an immediate timeline. This extension is no, in no way a substitute for passing a five-year farm bill, and we remain committed to working together to get it done next year, the committee leader said in a statement. Um, but, like, not everybody's happy about it, so the... The current short-term funding proposal includes the one-year extension of the Farm Bill with no reform, status quo policies, and status quo funding levels. Ohio Representative Warren Davis, member of the House Freedom Caucus, wrote on X. Um, disappointing is as polite as I can muster. I will be voting no. Well, it passed anyways, but um, you can expect this to be be pretty contentious i would imagine um i i don't know i don't know where it goes um but with all the particularly with the israel war the longer that goes on like the more more likely stuff will get passed just in order so we can give money to israel um and, and so all of a sudden you'll see a lot of bipartisan bipartisan consensus on on all sorts of stuff and and it's and it's the way congress has worked for fucking ever is just like how we can't come to an a compromise like we're at odds so you know typically it's been the republicans wanted military spending and the democrats wanted uh social spending and now it's the republicans are a little better on wars but not on military spending and, and in particular they're they're bad on foreign aid to israel because for whatever reason like it's just blank check for those guys like always blind support and um yeah so but the the democrats are are pretty split pretty well split on the issue where the younger crowd is more of a pro-Palestine stance. Um, I'm not going to say pro-Hamas stance. Uh, like there's there's some idiots out there that that uh, view Hamas as the good guys. Which um, I'm not saying they're good guys by any means, but because they're the, the the shit that they're they do is pretty pretty awful. Um, but you have a wing of the the Democrat Party that is. Um, kind of all on board with um it's not so I don't even know if they're so much pro palestine or as they're just anti israel but like they they view the world as the oppressor versus versus the oppressed and it's pretty easy to paint israel as the oppressor um particularly in their minds um but just practically speaking it's not hard it's not not really not hard to to do so um yeah, so like you have, but you have enough of the old school Democrats to to vote with like the the pro Israel Republican wing to get that 
passed. And then along the way, they, they'll throw the farm bill and whatever else that needs to get done. And they'll try to throw as much shit into one bill as they can and just pass it all at once. That's the continuing resolution model, which we'll see if they move away from that. Um, I'm not optimistic, but we'll see. It could happen. I was watching the Angels in the Outfield with my kids the other day, and there's, you know, a little black kid, um, JP. It could happen. That's kind of how I feel about anything in Washington. It could happen. Um, moving on, Coke, uh, Coke Foods agrees to end unfair exit fees for poultry farmers in uh, GOJ settlement. This comes, like, right on the heels of the, the new rule that um, that they made that was uh, well, supposed to make the, the poultry industry more transparent. And, yeah, like I said, they wasted no time. So, uh, Coke Foods Incorporated agreed to no longer charge a termination penalty to chicken growers who switch processors. Settling claims with the U.S. Department of Justice that fees prevented um, suppliers from working with rivals. The Justice Department said last week that a proposed consent degree would prohibit the nation's fifth largest poultry processor from penalizing growers who switch processors and require Coke feed foods to return certain fees and penalties already assessed on farmers. The agreement, which court needs court approval, follows an anti-competitive lawsuit by the DOJ under the Sherman Act and the Packards and Stockyards Act. The suit claimed Coke's termination fees often amounted to more than half of most growers' total annual take-home income. <clears throat> Enforcement against Coke's foods was announced a day after a day after the Biden administration unveiled plans to tackle anti-competitive behavior in the poultry industry, in part by requiring processors to better inform their suppliers of contract terms. Processors often require farmers to invest heavily in their operations as a part of a contract of a contract, which makes it difficult to transition to working with competitors who may also require capital investments. The Department of Justice said Coke used the threat of termination policies to discourage growers from moving competitors, moving to competitors, and that processors and that the processor also sued or threatened to sue more than a dozen family farmers who tried to switch. Again, I can't recommend enough the book, The Meat Racket, that explains a lot about this tournament um, system that they, that they set up in the poultry industry. It is a very biased uh, book. Um, <clears throat> it's a book with an agenda. Um, however, it, it is very thorough and, um, it's 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 very informative because if you don't know anything about big big agriculture, particularly on the meat side of things, poultry is as bad as it gets. So as far as being a vertically integrated corporate conglomerate monopoly giant um, behemoth, all encompassing, you know, takes over like. Poultry is where it's at. Like, that's the best case, uh, like, the best um, Petri dish to, to look at. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? That Like, that's, like, that's the showcase of, of how vertical integration works, is, is the poultry industry. So, and, and the meat racket does a really good job of explaining how, how these anti-competitive uh, practices work. 
and, and how how much control these these corporate giants have. So I, anyways, however biased it may be, it's it's a good book to read, uh, and it's it's very eye opening to very much just like kind of how the corporate business world works. Um, Coke claims the exit penalty was meant to compensate uh, Coke Foods for the real impact growers leaving has on Coke, the suit reads. But that is just another way of saying that without the exit penalty, Coke would have to pay farmers competitive rates to keep them from switching to one of Coke's competitors. Coke implemented the termination penalty in 2014, and the fee ranges depending on the size of the farm. Justice Department noted fees of $24,000 to $56,000, though one family farm, though said one family farm was charged hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, so essentially, it was it was a way to keep somebody from going getting in, getting more money from Tyson or or Pilgrim's Pride or whoever. They uh like oh you're you're uh I don't know if it was like to at the that was part of the the contract they signed and so they even so it essentially just made them re-sign the contract with Coke and so it's kind of um, yeah it's, it's like um very much like company store type shit um yeah you could. You could go, but like this is ours, and this is ours, and this is ours. But this, this is even more where it's just straight up extortion. Like, oh, um, yeah, I know you get a better deal over there, but see, like you leaving's gonna hurt us, and we're gonna charge you for that as you leave. And <laughs> that's like, uh, that's like if uh, if you ordered a product from the say O'Reilly's or something and uh and you're like you know they 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 had it ordered in and then in the meanwhile you you found it cheaper at AutoZone they already had it in stock so you're like hey um I don't need that part I already got one they're like oh okay well we're gonna have to charge you like a stocking fee of seven thousand dollars and then you're like oh well fuck I guess I'll just buy that part instead even though it's more expensive, but it's it's way cheaper than seven thousand dollars. Like, but like, why? That seems like a huge stocking fee. Like, I have business is business, man. It's uh very mob like. Um, as part of the agreement, Coke will refrain from including termination penalties in grower contracts for the next seven years. It will also be required to meet certain reporting and compliance obligations throughout that time. <clears throat> the suit against Coke is a second uh, recent enforcement action against a large processor under the Packers and Stockyards Act. <clears throat> District Court approved a, a consent decree in June resolving the claim that Wayne... Okay, so we talked about, about that one last week, I believe. <clears throat> so, um, we'll see where this goes. Uh, seems like a pretty decent uh, ruling. I don't know. We'll see. You know, it's uh it's, I know a lot of a lot of folks are kind of loath to give the DOJ or or the Biden administration any credit at all and I understand they have not done much to deserve it, but this seems like a good thing to um cuz our agricultural system is um 
it is really out of whack. And a lot of it has to do with, with big agriculture and, um, and, and how, how much they've like, they've taken advantage of the, like your, your small and medium sized family, <clears throat> family farm and ranch. So, um, so that being said, maybe this is a, this is a good one. So if it turns out good, you know, kudos to the Biden administration for, for it. So we'll see. Um, moving over to the beef side of things, I guess, well, you can't, can't say JBS and not include the pork and the and the chicken in there as well, but beef is really what their 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 big boy is. But JBS delays plans for a U.S. Uh, stock exchange listing after a request for an investor vote. The world's largest meat company agreed to redo paperwork to comply with a shareholder request as it faces market challenges in North America. Um. So, uh, JBS plans to list its shares on the U.S. stock exchange as being held by held back by an investor request to rework what had previously been previously been submitted to federal regulators for scrutiny. So, they had already submitted this plan to to the feds to get listed on the stock exchange, and now their investors are like, "Hey, wait a minute." Uh, we need to vote on this. And um, the, the request for a vote came from American Depository Receipt Holders. CEO Gilberto Tomazzoni said in an earnings call on Tuesday, we decided to comply, and this decision forced us to redo the legal structure. Um, <clears throat> I don't know if that was optional that they... <clears throat> that they comply because I don't, I don't know how that works. Um, so it says no timeline for the dual listing was mentioned in the call. Uh, this delay comes as JBS navigates through a tough U.S. market backdrop that weighed in that weighed on its third quarter. Net profit was one hundred seventeen point three million, which seems like a lot, but it was an 85% decline dragged down by low availability of cattle. Sales totals $18.7 billion during the period. Less than a 1% decline from last year. Um, so, like, sales are still up, but their costs are also way up. So, uh, cattle are more expensive, fuel's more expensive, energy, everything's more expensive. So, it's even hitting the big boys. Even the even the Packers are are feeling it. Uh, plans to list JBS shares in the U.S. have been in the works for several years, but delays, including a major bribery scandal and the COVID nineteen pandemic, have interfered along the way. The company's latest attempt would allow shares to be traded on the New York Stock Exchange through a dual listing under a new Dutch parent company, JBS NV, according to a proposal. The proposal details revealed in July. While Brazil-based JBS is already publicly traded in Sao Paulo, the ability to sell shares in the U.S. would open up deep, deep pockets of cash for the company to expand. We believe this is yet another way to generate even more value to all of our shareholders and our team members and our community, Tomazzoni said in the earnings call. JBS had expected to close the deal by the end of the year, but a request to vote on the proposal is holding it up. 
Tomazzoni said the company is waiting to hear back from the SEC on the revisions before a vote can take place. We do not have a financial urgency in carrying out the listing, he told investors. Uh, in the third quarter, JBS saw overall earnings decline as it navigated through a tight cattle market that drove up prices. The company also took on higher grain and input costs, soft chicken prices driven by a global oversupply, and soft consumer demand. North American and Brazilian beef segments saw year-over-year earning declines, as did Pilgrim's Pride Chip. Uh, as did its Pilgrim's Pride chicken segment. Earnings were offset by positive results in the Australia beef and U.S. pork segments. The Ciara Group is... Uh, Ciara, the Ciara food processing segment also saw earnings decline, though JBS expects a rebound with the addition of, the, of a new state-of-the-art plant that will open in October. We are well prepared, prepared to navigate this challenging period with security security and financial robustness um so the way it sounds like to me and i may be completely off base here because i don't i don't exactly know how all that works as uh i forget the name of that chris farley character on snl when he was like uh he was the reporter he's like i don't I've never had sex with a woman. He's doing the air quotes the whole time for all you audio listeners. And he's like, don't know how that works. Um, that's how I feel about, about all these publicly traded companies and the regulations and rules surrounding that. So I don't know exactly, but um, it sounds to me that JBS is shady. Always has been. They're not afraid to, you know, grease the wheels, uh, grease a few palms, um, you know, do a couple reach arounds here and there, whatever it takes to, to get in good with the government. And then they, uh, yeah, they're, they're, uh, they're very good at, at the, at the grease in the wheels of commerce, uh, so to speak. I, I don't know where, where any of this goes, uh, but I, I'm sure they'll continue to make a lot of money. Um, the listing as a on on the U.S. stock exchange would pour in billions of dollars to them, though, and they so I mean they they would be flush with cash to go to go start projects all over the place. So I mean, who knows? Um, but like. The, the cattle supply is a huge issue. Um, you know, there it, it's um, it, it really hurts them a lot. Um, and, and it also leads to um, like imported beef because we're, we're running low on it here. Not running low, but it just well, I mean, yeah, we're running low on it. Our, our cow herds is the lowest it's been. Our, our production numbers are are same but our herd size is dwindling so um that being said um paraguay beef imports are now allowed under certain conditions uh, the u.s department of agriculture's animal animal and plant health inspection surface service or aphis announced the publication of a final rule that will allow the importation of fresh uh chilled or frozen beef from paraguay APHIS conducted a risk analysis on the importation of the product uh, and concluded that it can be safe under certain conditions. 
Paraguayan beef was reason, previously restricted due to concerns about foot and mouth disease and other common animal diseases. And then a new rule, in order for the importation of Paraguayan beef, foot and mouth disease must not be diagnosed in the exporting region for the past 12 months. Additionally, the meat must come from premises where foot and mouth disease has not been present during the lifetime of any of the animals. Lastly, the animals must be inspected before and after death. Final rule will be published in the Federal Register as of November 13th and will be effective 30 days after publication. Um, there was... Here, this is a better analysis. I'll put it up on the, on the screen. Um... All right, so the new rule allowing importation that lays out a few requirements. We did that. Um, with a drought causing ranchers to reduce U.S. cattle herd numbers to its smallest level in decades, companies are relying on more on imports to make things like hamburger. Under the agreement, Paraguay must compete with other countries, uh, Brazil, Ireland, Japan, and Namibia, to fill a group tar rate, tariff rate quota of 65,000 metric tons per year. Paraguay is uh, expected to eventually ship 5 to 10% of the tariff rate quota. Not everyone is excited about this announcement, you can imagine, uh, including the NCBA, National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Its concern is with Paraguay's history of foot and mouth disease. NCBA says USDA has failed to use information from recent site visits to assess the risk of importing beef to the U.S., Meanwhile, the American Farm Bureau Federation recommended the rule be withdrawn until Paraguay could provide more recent data to protect the U.S. cattle herd from a potential foot-and-mouth disease out, uh, outbreak. Um, I don't know... I don't know much about Paraguayan beef, but apparently foot-and-mouth disease is a big issue, and... <coughs> The, the real issue that I have with all of this is the labeling laws, which are just a total sham. And I'm not much for government re regulation, but I am for, like, people being liable for fraud. And all they have to do under current rules is anything that's imported, if value is added to it within the United States it becomes able to be labeled as product of, of the U.S. So by simply putting a label that says product of the U.S., you are increasing va the value of that product. And therefore, now that's American beef, even though that animal never stepped foot live on, on our soil. Um and that seems very fraudulent. I'm not saying that the beef is bad, but I, I think there should there should be a label a labeling issue. You know, like I, maybe I'm maybe I'm coming more around to the to the RCAF side of things on that that labeling issue. But uh, it is, um, yeah, I think I think the I think there is there is something to that. Um, it's a very fraudulent practice of, of of just 
or, or adding a little bit of, of American tallow to, to lean Paraguayan beef and, and calling that now product of, of the U.S. And, and never mentioning the, the initial origin of the protein content, which is what people are, are wanting to buy is the protein. Um, you don't see a whole lot of people going specifically for the, for the fat content. I mean, that's most people are there for the protein. So that part came from foreign a foreign country, but nowhere is that labeled on there. And so that that seem seems like an issue to me. Um so we'll see, but um a lot of that stuff goes to fast food restaurants. So if you're not eating fast food or if you're you're buying locally locally grown stuff, um you don't have to worry about where your food comes from because you know. Uh, or at least you know a little bit better. So um, if you can, buy direct from, from your local rancher, farmer. Um, you know, even even in your, your biggest cities, there's uh, not far outside of them, there's some agricultural area and people people actually growing stuff to eat. So check with them before, before you go to a big chain store. And I, I may get some pushback from from uh like ncba types and and meat industry types about how our stuff is completely safe and like ah, it's safer than most of the rest of the world i'll 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 grant that point but i also do not trust these big corporations they've been known to lie over and over again and while i've had some experience working with them um yeah they're they're they do a pretty good job of quality control, but the bigger an operation gets, uh, the less oversight there seems to to have. I mean, just by nature, like you have to you have to hire more people to to oversee it, and that costs more money. And those those giant corporations they're they're all about maximizing production and profit. So if that means squeezing out a few uh, quality assurance people, so be it. And, uh, I mean, it's just, that's just business baby. And so, yeah, I, I, I absolutely think that generally speaking, buying directly from, from your farmer or rancher, uh, or a local butcher is, um, far safer than buying from, I, I wouldn't even say far safer. I just like, you have more, more peace of mind, you know, where it came from as opposed to buying from Walmart or one of your big grocery chains. So um, I'm sure uh, that'll ruffle some, a few feathers uh, of of those in the meat industry, but yeah, it is what it is. I stand by it. I stand by my statement. And um, last one I I have uh, for you today. I guess I got two. Um, so this uh, the this says the food industry is all in on regenerative agriculture. Uh, can farmers be convinced? Uh, in response to the rising crisis of soil degra- degradation and excess carbon in the atmosphere, companies in the ag sector are attempting to offer a twofold solution: storing carbon in the soil. Uh, the practice is known as carbon farming, also called regenerative agriculture, is natural and as old as time. As the term and practices becoming central to the food industry's sustainability goals. A host of new companies are cropping up to capitalize on this booming business. 
acting as a li- as liaisons between farmers and organizations looking to relieve carbon debt. Companies like Indigo Ag, AgriProve, Nori, TruTerra, and Bayer are uh, defining the carbon credit industry and facilitating relationships that allow regenerative processes or practices to have an impact at scale. While startups like Pivot Bio, Pluton Bio, and Locus Agriculture are working to create fertilizer alternatives that are more sustainable yet allow farmers to yield similar to, if not better, than synthetic chemicals. However, to be successful, the emerging industry will have to convince farmers that regenerative agriculture is not just good for the environment, but also profitable. Sustainability begins with profitability, said Chad Pollack, former CEO of Locus Ag, maker of alternative fertilizers that also oversees its own carbon credit program. If the grower doesn't have an opportunity to reinvest in their operation, it's very difficult for them to expand into regenerative ag practices. From biofertilizers to carbon credit programs, startups and major companies alike are racing to get on a, in on a burgeoning industry centered around changing the way farmers do business. Biofertilizer companies have raked in hundreds of millions of dollars in investor funding and are teaming up with some of the world's largest agriculture companies to bring more sustainable crop uh, protection products to mar- market. Some startups are becoming major players in and of themselves. Microbial producer Pivot Bio is planning a major expansion as revenue surpasses the $100 million mark. Um, Alternative fertilizers play a pivotal role in regenerative agriculture by reducing reliance on chemicals and pesticides and fostering a naturally enriched soil system by promoting microbial diversity and nutrient cycling. Um... Mm. So you've been hearing a lot about regenerative agriculture and I'm um, by and large in favor of it. I don't know if it scales though, but here they're saying that it could. And I don't, I don't know if that's just a sales pitch or if that's, that's true, but I think there is some, some real merit to it where as opposed to just um, tilling everything up, spraying a bunch of pesticide down, killing off your weeds, planting your crop, and then, you know, a genetically modified crop, which becomes resistant to to a pesticide and an herbicide, uh, particularly an herbicide, Roundup Ready corn and soybeans. Uh, glyphosate, which has been linked to, uh, also, I don't know which sorts of cancer, but cancer, I think like leukemia. Um, but yet it's used everywhere um i mean it's it's in it the water supply and all sorts of crazy shit so um the problem that i i think it's later in this article the problem is like there's a street steep drop off in production as you're switching over and so it's like a lot of no-till stuff and and it's essentially trying to keep as much organic matter in the ground as possible and and therefore keeping your carbon in the soil which creates a a healthy topsoil all that and and there's some real merits to it how how you do it on a on a large scale i don't know but it seems like they're the thing thing about this is um I, i think the water issue is a real real issue and the market is uh is responding to that whether 
<laughs> whether farmers and that, that's the it's kind of the issue with uh, with subsidies is and all these these government programs that keeps farmers locked into this monocrop corn wheat soybean um, you know whatever it is commodity type crops and, and they keep growing this because the incentives are there from the government. However, those are some of the the worst farming practices because it depletes your topsoil, and you gotta you gotta continually pump fertilizer and and pesticide and herbicide on on your crops to get them to grow, and more and more water. Where as the regenerative practices, it it um it uh like it enhances moisture retention in the soil and whatever. So. How you do it on scale, I don't know, but it seems like the market is is starting to react to that. Um, and, and this is where they're saying like uh, some incentives from from the government, incentives being subsidies, um, could get it cause it to really take off, which could spur innovation. And th- there is there is a re- very very valid argument to be made that. A public-private cooperation like that could could resi- result in some huge technological advances and 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 really kind of transform how we we do agriculture here in the U.S. But the, uh, whether that all is done is remains to be seen. And what are the what are the unintended consequences should that happen? Um, that that remains to be seen. Um, but. All in all, it goes more into like the carbon swap, you know, the the, the cap and trade type system uh, of the carbon market, and um, yeah, it, it's a it's an interesting it's an interesting concept. We'll see how it works, how it plays out in in the future, but um, I think it's going to become a, a way bigger part. You've seen a lot of no till stuff over the over the past like 10, 20 years. Um, hasn't, hasn't taken off as much as, as people would have, um, you know, as a lot of people would like to see, but there, there has been some improvements and we'll see where it goes, but yeah, farmers and ranchers are real slow to change and, um, yeah, we'll, we'll see. So I guess the last, the last one will, will end it on a high note for me anyways. I, I think this is good news, but, uh, Argentina just held their elections and they elected, um, Javier Malay, who was kind of a radical libertarian, he calls himself an anarcho-capitalist, um, meaning that <laughs> it's, um, his political philosophy is strictly, um, 100% based on, on private property rights. He has goals to tackle their inflation, which we think ours is bad. The Argentine peso is facing an inflation rate of like 140% right now. You know, we're, we're bitching about eight, nine, 11%, which is, I mean, it's a lot. I'm not, I'm not happy of it, but 140% well, magnitudes worse. So, um, they're in pretty dire straits and he's looking to take them off the, the pace of all together and transition them to U S dollar, um, major cuts to their welfare system and their subsidy, um, we'll see what he gets done. Uh, I won't be shocked if this guy, uh, gets assassinated, you know, shit, shit, uh, tippers run hot down in South America. So, uh, and they've, they've had some, they've had some issues with that in the past. Uh, I'm not real familiar, but I, 
I, I worked for, for a guy from Argentina, real smart guy. And, um, you know, values align fairly closely with mine. And, um, yeah, he, I'm, there's a reason he left Argentina and, and he's so, um, overall, I think at least this guy's trying to, uh, he seems to be on the side of Liberty and, uh, free markets. And that, that's, that's a good thing in my, my opinion. So I wish him all the best. I, I re- I'm really pulling for this guy. I, I like Argentina as a country. Um, you know, my former boss, we kind of, we kind of ended on, on a, on a sour note, but I, I respect the guy a lot and he's a very smart guy, very good man. Uh, raised, raised two really, uh, really good sons. I don't know his daughter that well. She was still pretty young when I, when I worked for him, but either way, like I respect a man, particularly based on his kids and his kids are, they're, they're good eggs. So, uh, he, he was a good guy and I, I got a lot of, a lot of respect for Argentina and Argentine culture. They've got a, I got a fascinating history. And uh so I, I'm I'm cheering this dude on, Javier Malay, and I hope he does well. And uh, I'd like to see like to see people doing good and I like to see people fighting for, for liberty and you know, individual liberty and freedom and free markets, free enterprise, all that good stuff. Just freedom and liberty in general. I'm 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 a big fan of. So uh, congrats to Javier Malay in Argentina, and I, I hope it turns out the best. I hope you all have a good weekend. Um, you know, have have a great Thanksgiving this week. There's a lot to be thankful for, despite of uh, an overall kind of a weird, shitty year. Um, it could be worse, and there's a lot to be thankful for. So I I will be. I'll be celebrating um, Thanksgiving light. I'm still doing my my um, 75 hard fitness challenge, so I'm not eating bread, not drinking booze. Uh, I've got 10 days left, so um, and then then I'll be ready to party for the holiday holiday season. But I'm uh, getting back into shape. I'm down about 15 pounds. Feel like I'm looking pretty decent and. Um, I'm gonna continue this on, on through, and try to try to stay fit. My kids are growing up fast, and they're and they move fast, so I gotta gotta try to keep up with them. So, and um, yeah, as you heard at the top of the show before we we got in here, I'm working with First Form. They're helping me out, make really good stuff, helping me uh helping me get back to the old fighting weight. So, I recommend all their stuff. Uh, I've tried a lot of it so far, and I've uh, 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 they make really, really good stuff. Their protein powder tastes great. It's uh, oh, it's all really good stuff. Really good company. Uh, they they really they like to help people out, help them succeed. So um, I I highly recommend them. Uh, so if you if you're looking to get in shape, uh, they got a lot of stuff to help you get there. You'll see results if you put the work in. That's for sure. So head over to firstform.com slash burning daylight. That's one S T P H O R M dot com slash burning daylight. And uh <coughs> free shipping on any any orders over $75. So check it out. Good product. Um y'all stay safe out there. Have a have an excellent uh Thanksgiving. We'll uh we'll have our, our football show coming up tomorrow night. And um, we'll put our put our picks in, 
not a great week of betting this week. It was it was okay. Not not great. Wasn't real wasn't real happy with it, but we'll get them this week, I'm sure. So, um this has been the Friggin' Farm and Ranch Report for Monday, November 20th, 2023. Move your ass. We're burning daylight. Up in the morning beneath the stars so bright. Pull your hat down, make sure your cinch is tight. Horse is kinda snuffy, cold chill up your spine. We'll get your ass moving, sun will burn daylight. Tell the job's done right.